me Still the same OG, but I've been low-key Hated on by most of these with no cheese No deals and no G's, no wheels and no keys No boats, no snowmobiles and no skis Mad at me cause I can finally afford to provide my family with groceries Got a crib with a studio and a saw full of tracks To add to the wall full of plaques Hanging up in the office and back of my house like trophies Did y'all think I'ma let my dough freeze? You're listening to the PCAST. Each week we take you around Austin B, the athletics department, sometimes Clarksville, and occasionally OVC to give you the full scope of what's unfolding around us. I am Colby Wilson. He is Dylan Schwartz. Our time is short and yours is valuable, so let's go ahead and get started, especially after I forgot to hit record the first time we did this. So the first, I don't know, seven, eight minutes or so of this, Dylan's already heard and doesn't really care about so, before I torture him with that again, I guess, let's talk about what he's here to actually talk about. And that was the terrible, awful, no good, very bad Super Bowl that we all just witnessed. Well, I mean, a lot of people that, you know, have been around the NFL, including former players and stuff, you know, all thought, they all heard the criticism of everyone, the public saying, oh, it was a terrible game and all this stuff. And they're like, no, it was very entertaining still. You got to watch defense. And I'm sitting there like, even though I'm a Patriots fan and we won, I still thought it was awful. And if it was, it would be one thing if defense, if the defense was flying around and making plays. And I mean, golf through some of the worst passes I've ever seen anybody throw in a Super Bowl. Just where there was, it seemed like he had a three percent chance that there was going to be a completion. It seemed like he had the yips for the entire game. It seemed like Jeff Fisher was coaching him again. Yeah, and that was a thing I was very interested in to see is the coaching matchup between Belichick and McVay and. From from the get go, Belichick was just a step ahead, and he thought maybe make some adjustments, eat, make some adjustments each side, and Patriots did that better and got a ten points in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, it was only a thirteen to three final, obviously, but the the Patriots were, you know, pretty much dominated most of that game, even though the scoreboard didn't reflect it for a while. Um, you know, first first drive moved the ball inside the forty, int. Second drive inside the forty, missed field goal. Um, missed fourth down conversion right outside the red zone at the end of the first half. So, I mean, you could be looking at, you know, potentially even up to 30 points, probably around 23 to, to 28 points um, if, if they could finish off the drives and, you know, made a couple big mistakes. The defense was really just absolutely all over them from the, the first whistle. And even though Goff maybe got a couple drives down the field later in the fourth quarter, you know, it didn't really end up resulting in anything. And, Summed up the Rams night as Zerline missed that field goal right at the end with about six seconds. They were gonna, you know, get the field goal, onside kick, hail mary, but could even make the first, the easy part of that. So that kind of summed up the Rams night. But of course, I was ecstatic for, you know, watching them get the sixth championship. Um, for as a kid waking up in Germany at like three in the morning to to now, you know, with the same quarterback, same coach, same owner, and you know, just a just 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 a really nice. Um, Really nice Sunday, especially after losing last year. So hopefully we can go and get seven next year. Yeah, and hopefully time will continue <laughs> to next full March and they will all not be around. Very, it, it was the worst. It was the worst Super Bowl of my lifetime. Just from a, a purely aesthetic. There was nothing, there was no redeeming thing Even about the that. The halftime show was terrible as well. The halftime show was bad. The commercials weren't great. Corn syrup's going to kill us all. Okay. I, <laughs> all right, cool, I guess. I don't know. I mean, we talked about the halftime show last week, and I stand by it that the best part of the Super Bowl was the 90 seconds that Big Boy got on stage at halftime in his mink and sang the first verse of The Way You Move. But that, e- even then, we couldn't even swing a full-fledged outcaster. It was just terrible. Yeah. It was just No it was Andre awful. 3000. I mean, I no Andre 3000. I mean, it was whatever. I'm I'm – it's four days later, and I'm, or three days later, and I'm still not really over it. Um, in other news, a little bit closer to home, but no less affecting the gridiron, uh, National Signing Day going on as we speak, and the governor's putting the finishing touches to the 18-person class that will comprise new head coach Mark Hudspeth's first class. Easily the crown jewel of this bunch is Montrevious Richardson, a three-star JUCO prospect from Albany, Georgia, hailing from Georgia Military Academy. The highest-rated prospect in Austin P's history, according to 24-7 Sports. Number three JUCO product in Georgia. Number 12 JUCO offensive tackle in the nation. 6'6", 340 pounds. Jeez. 
Uh, this boy is going to be a a big part of the offensive line <laughs> next year, creating, <laughs> opening up holes for all of Austin Peay's backs and protecting Jeremiah Oatesville as the Govs look to secure a winning season in Hudspeth's first year. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's look back at last week first and what a week it was for the men's basketball team, now tied atop the Ohio Valley Conference at 8-2 and two after big wins at Tennessee Tech and Jacksonville State. Uh, start with the, the contest in Cookville. Tennessee Tech, the Eblen Center is a notoriously tough place to play anyway. Hard rims, bad lighting. I won't say bad lighting, just kind of different lighting. Unique angles. It offers the Golden Eagles a significant home court advantage, which I felt like they were going to have uh, in front of a national audience on ESPN News last week. That didn't stop the Gus from building a 13-point lead in the first half, maintaining it through most of the second before a late Golden Eagle run. Um, di- different guys stepped up at different points in the evening. Chris Porter-Bunton scored the first six points for the Gus in the second half. Terry Taylor had the next eight. Anytime Tech made a little run, Zach Glotta silenced it with a three. And on the other end of the floor, Jabari McGee was just a defensive monster. Multiple blocks, multiple steals, disrupted the Golden Eagle offense at every turn and helped the Governors earn their first win in Cookville since 2009. Then they took the show down to Alabama and got a huge win against the league-leading Jacksonville State Gamecocks on the road at Pete Matthews Coliseum. A hostile crowd, a fun atmosphere that was very much a – championship OVC tournament atmosphere only if 98% of the people in attendance wanted you to fail at every turn. Really, really, really hot start for the Gamecocks, or for the Governors, rather. The Gamecocks were awful to start. <laughs> Austin Peay, 23-4 lead after just eight minutes. Home crowd quieted quite a bit, but almost immediately JSU ripped off a run to get the crowd back into it. Those guys have been really good at home this season, and the intimate setting of Pete Matthews Coliseum is a big reason why. The Govs took a lead into halftime, but JSU cut it to just possession early in the second half, and it was on from there. Glotta hit a three to stop the JSU run and kickstart another for Austin P to push the lead back to double figures. But JSU did not go away. Championship caliber squads battle back from setbacks, and JSU could still win a title too. They ripped off a 17-8 run to make it a one-point game and took their first lead with 39 seconds to go on a pair of free throws. But on the ensuing possession, Taylor found a cutting McGee for a huge three-point play to put the Govs back up for good, and they were able to hold on to bring about a fantastic end to a fantastic weekend. And for the women's team, um, they split against Tech and Jacksonville State, but maybe not in the fashion that some people were expecting. You know, you come into the Eblen Center, which, as you mentioned, maybe had a a different feel than than most road arenas, but... um, in, in my opinion, I, I think it's one of the nicest arenas that uh, I visited this year and, and one of the nicer ones in, in the OVC. Um, and they went in playing the league-leading Golden Eagles, who had not lost at the Eblen Center the entire season. And right off the get-go, it was the Ariel Gonzalez-Varner show. She scored eight. Uh, she scored the Govs' first eight points and the first 10 of 11 Govs' points as the Govs raced out to an advantage, and, and coming into this game, Tech, as I mentioned, undefeated at home, um, 7-1 in the OVC. They beat Belmont on the road, um, and really throughout much of the game, every time they tried to make a run, the Govs answered with a little run of their own and kept um, their advantage to five or seven points and you know kept creeping it up at you know every now and then, and it really helped that Tennessee Tech's leading scorer, Jordan Brock, and one of the most dangerous three-point shooters in the entire conference picked up foul trouble very early two fouls in the first quarter then her third foul early in the third and then as soon as she came back in again she got her fourth foul so she was pretty much relegated to the bench for you know 80 percent of the game I would say and when they did and when they did make a run late in the game after Gonzalez Varner uh, had a jumper to put the guts up 11 with about two and a half minutes to go um, she woke up from her slumber, you know, put, you know, it was her fault. She picked up four fouls, all, were, you know, all were fouls. If I, you know, I remember correctly from the play, and she ended up hitting a couple of big threes, and all, all of a sudden the lead was only about four with with 35 seconds left, and Tech had the ball after a questionable foul call, you know, but um, the Govs got a stop. Brianna Furby, who had season high 20 points in that game, uh, made two big free throws to put the Govs back up by six with about 12 seconds to go, and that pretty much ended. Um, the Tennessee Tech late charge and 
while the game was competitive the whole time, the Govs really seemed in control for for the entire game and um, did all the little things correct and the, you know played hard and ended up holding on to a lead. We mentioned a couple weeks ago and they weren't being able to get off to good starts. Have been able to do that more recently, and um, you know it r- really showed against Tech. Although going into Jacksonville State, who is one of the two best defensive teams in the OVC, along with Belmont in terms of scoring defense and field goal percentage and three-point defense percentage and all of that stuff, um, the game just is really just kind of sucked. Honestly, um, it was a you know promising first quarter. Teams were tied at 13 after, and then. Jacksonville State slowly got a little lead. I think they were up by six at halftime or something like that and then kept stretching out their leads with just a couple buckets here, a couple buckets there that the Govs just couldn't answer. Um, Govs only made 14 shots in the game, season low, and um, shot below 30%, which also is season low. Um, they're shooting well from the free throw line, if, if that's a plus. Um, went 22 of 26 against the Gamecocks. Unfortunately, the Gamecocks, who came in shooting the ball about 60% from the free throw line shot just as well. I think they went like 21 of 25 or something like that, um, which is almost identical. And, um, you know, I want to I wanna shout out Maggie Knowles as well. Hit three huge three-pointers to try to, to start a comeback in that game for the Govs. Unfortunately, it, it, it didn't work out, but I think Knowles is playing out of her mind. Uh, just a freshman, um, led the Govs in minutes against the Gamecocks, and she is just doing everything that she is asked to do. And, and it Really, if she continues to play like this, you know, there, there's no reason why the Govs can't go on and possibly even clinch a top four seed um, in the Ohio Valley Conference tournament. If some, if they win both these games this weekend and have some other teams uh, have some other results go their way, excuse me, but they got to get past the Jacksonville State loss and get back in the Dunn Center. Hopefully, get get two wins against teams they've already seen this year. Over on the track, Kyra Wilder got her first career 400 meter dash victory in her first career start in the event. Also a team best fourth place in the 60-meter dash as well. She and Tiana Johnson have been really, really good as freshmen and give the governors a really nice foundation in the short sprints for the next four years, leaving aside some of the really good upperclassmen like Sabrina Richmond and Tamitha Tolbert that they have. I mean, this sprint group is as good as it has been in quite some time here at Austin P. Elsewhere, Lennox Walker placed third in the 60-meter hurdles with a season best 8.0, moving up to second in the OVC standings, the pole vault, very good as usual. Um, didn't get a victory or a season best for either Savannah Amato or Daisha Hicks, which is – it qualifies as news because it's been such a rarity this year that they haven't either won or got a season best or both. So uh, – but still very, very quality. I think I think it's unfair to, to characterize nearing – 12 and a half, 13 feet each and every week as uh, uh, business as usual. Like, that's an amazing feat. Of course. And it comes off as very just workmanlike when you see them do it week after week after week after week. Speaking of workmanlike efforts, the, the women's tennis team definitely had that on Tuesday against Cumberland. They remained unbeaten. Um, won both of the doubles matches claiming doubles point and were up 5-3 at number two double so you would have think they would have closed that one out as well and then won every single singles match or every single singles match you know it's a little bit confusing but I'm pretty sure everybody knows what I'm I didn't what even I mean. write that you can't even put that on me it's some <laughs> kind of alliteration fail well they won every one of those in straight sets uh they won every single set by at least a 6-0 to 6-3 margin so the, the sets weren't even really close and um, this is a Cumberland program, you know. Who Here we go. <laughs> there, you know, NAIA tennis, you know, isn't at the level of you know Division One OVC tennis. Both of these women and the men's programs, both of these programs made the NAIA national tournament last year, with the the men even advancing as far as the quarterfinals of that national tournament. So, the potential is maybe there for for better results, but the the Govs absolutely just took it to them. Um, Tatiana Lopez and the Yanis Garcia sisters remain unbeaten in singles on the year. All uh, all three of those are five and zero, oh, and you know this team is, you know, really a preseason favorite for the OVC. They they tied for. Fr- they're gonna win unless something <laughs> bad happens. I mean, you got the you got an all OVC player from a year ago playing as the number four. Yeah. It, just stay healthy, everybody. Exactly. Stay healthy, please. And OVC freshman of the year Fabian Schmidt has not played this spring due to a shoulder injury. 
And I knew there was I'm, somebody yeah. when I was sitting down and writing the script. I was thinking, we're missing somebody. Yeah. Somebody, some, a yeah. real contributor is not playing at all. It's Fabby. I forgot. Yeah, so they are absolutely shellacking teams without the reigning OVC freshman of the year and first-team All-OVC pick. So you think she'll slot into around number two or number three singles, and then you're going to have a stacked lineup of Lydia Garcia, Schmidt, Lopez, who's unbeaten this year, um, Claudia, and Helena Kupik, a second-team All-OVC pick. And that, that that's your top five in singles. So I mean that some I mean, poor some poor person at like UT Martin is gonna have to play Helena Kupig at number five singles <laughs> somewhere down the way. And I just feel bad for her. Yeah. And what's even more astonishing about especially about these last three matches for the women's tennis team, they've only dropped one set in the past three matches. And they haven't dropped an individual game. So for instance, a doubles match or a singles match since January the twentieth on the opening weekend of their season. So they have actually been rolling people. And on the men's side, uh, not the best start to their season, but they turned it around against Cumberland, getting the season's first win. Um, they won the doubles point for the first time this year, and that kind of spurred them on, gained more confidence. Um, the Phoenix didn't back down at the start of singles. They won uh, three of the first sets across the singles matches, including at number one. However, Amantas Ozelis rebounded with a three-set win. Um, and Anton Danberg also won in straight sets for his first career um, win as a governor in singles. So that gave the guys a 3-0 lead, and they were able to close it out after um, after that to give a 6-1 victory to the guys. I also want to um, go back to the women and harp on, or not harp on. That, that's about no, that's exactly what you okay. were going okay. for. If you're going back to something that we've already spent okay. multiple minutes on, you're harping at that right. point. Um, Hanoka Nakanishi, Nakanishi. I'm going to get... 100% great. Get her, you got to get her a nickname. The yeah. Assassin. Something. I don't care. Just I <laughs> I can't watch you stumble over yeah. that every week. Um, she played her first career singles match as a gov at number six singles against Cumberland and ended up winning in straight sets 6-0, 6-1. So if it's any indication of that top five we're just talking about for the women, if you add her in and now she's winning matches of straight sets, dropping one game, I mean, imagine the potential for this team. Um Going back to the men, 1-6-1, Jacob Reno ended up clinching the match for the Govs with a three-set come-from-behind win um, at number four singles. So the Govs now 1-4. Um, you know, n again, they played some decent opponents, but to get this first win under the belt, give them some confidence, and hopefully they can um, really uh, you know, get off from here and have a, have a better start or ha have, a, have a better end <laughs> to the season than have start. Uh, since we know that you guys are here to listen to our guests and not us, we'll make this next part really quick. Terry Taylor, three-time now OVC Men's Basketball Player of the Week after averaging 24-7 and seven in the wins against Tech and JSU last week. Congrats to Terry. Uh, and we will take a break, bring in Mimi Arrington of the Austin Volleyball Team right after this. Currently between volleyball seasons, which means our next guest has a few extra minutes to spare for us. On a roster comprised of free spirits and outsized personalities, she stands apart, except right now she sits down to spend a few minutes with us. Mimi Arrington, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. So, let's start off at the beginning. What got you into volleyball as a kid? Um, I'm not really sure. I just remember one day my parents coming home and asking me if I wanted to play, because we have a, the Muncie Anna Volleyball Club in Muncie, and... Um, I just remember them sitting down and asked me if I wanted to play, and I was like, sure. And so just kind of start off with something to do? Yep. When did it grow into something more than that? Um, I think I, – so I started out playing on their training team. It was called the Scooby-Doo's. Yeah. And um, I just remember really enjoying it and kind of just picking up really quickly and finding it was something that I enjoyed doing. Talk a little bit about the volleyball culture of the Yorktown Muncie area. Uh, volleyball is huge in Muncie and at Yorktown. Um, it's very competitive. We all play against each other, like in high school, but then play together during club. So friendly competition, but it's very serious, and we all take it. 
I don't know. We take it very seriously, and we love it there. Outside of volleyball, what is there to do in Muncie? Not much, honestly. Um, we're about like an hour from Indianapolis, so if you really want to go do something, you probably have to go there. But in Muncie, there's probably like every chain restaurant, honestly, that you can think of. We have a mall, a movie theater. That's about it. Sounds uh, boring. Yeah. So what led you here? Um, I, so after my senior year, I wasn't 100% sure if I wanted to play volleyball or not. I wasn't, I didn't know if I wanted to continue or not. And then this opportunity presented itself and I didn't want to regret not playing volleyball anymore because I'd played it my whole life and I just didn't want to give all that away. And then when Austin P reached out to me, I w it sounded like a great opportunity. So I took advantage of that. Tell me a little bit about the origins of the biker shuffle. The biker shuffle. So my roommates and I found it one day at home because we just sit around and we like listen to music and stuff like that. And we came across this and we we're like, oh, this looks like something that'd be fun to do with like with the team, like as a warm up or something. So we sat down and learned how to do it. And then at EIU, we presented it to the team and they loved it. The coaches loved it. So it kind of just became a part of our pregame ritual. When did it take on becoming when did it go from becoming a fun thing that you guys did before the game to this sort of avatar for how much fun you always had on the court? Um, I don't really know. I just know everyone kind of jumped on and thought it was a, like a great idea and something fun to do just to kind of get away like nerves before the game. And um, I don't know, we just had a lot of fun with it. And I think the coaches saw like how much fun we were having. So they were like, all right, let's do it because it we kept winning games when we were doing it. So I've been told that you're kind of the architect for the yearly entry into jock and roll for the volleyball program. Walk me through that a little bit. Yes. Um, so last year we got a lot of hate for jock and roll, but that was fine. We just like to have fun. We love dancing. We think we're all really good dancers. We probably aren't, but at least we have fun with it. Um, yeah, jock and roll, we just kind of think of ideas honestly throughout the year like we'll play songs and people will come up with dances to it and then we're like all right we might as well just use this and then we'll put smash songs together so but hey we might not do that this year so we're oh really yeah. do you have something special in mind for this year we're we're thinking of some new things gotcha. not trying to do our basic dance routine so it seems like music and volleyball maybe it's just for this program or maybe it's overall are very intertwined it seems like a lot of what you're doing revolves around music why is that I just think it gives us energy honestly we like to play music like at all times like if we have literally like two seconds between like changing from going from indoor to beach we just play music in the locker room I think it's just a I don't know if it's to fill like a gap like we don't want silence I don't really know but we just <laughs> like having something going on and people like singing and dancing Let's talk a little bit more about Encore. You're, you've had such unique chemistry this last couple of years. Why is that? I just think we all, honestly, we all have different personalities, but they all mesh together. We know how to, like, talk to one another. We know how, because there's some people that are really outgoing. There's some people that are more quiet, but we all know how to talk to each other and to mesh with each other, and we all have respect for each other, and we want to play for each other and win for each other. Indoor versus beach, compare and contrast those two. I mean, they're the same sport at their base. You serve the ball and hit it back over the net, but that's pretty much where the similarities stop. Yeah, so indoor is more power. You're trying to hit, like, the ball as hard as you can. Or in beach, it's more about, like, your shots because you're only playing with two people. So, obviously, there's a big court available for you to place the ball. So, with beach – yeah, it's about me personally. I like to take the ball literally over on one as much as I can because you're trying to get your opponent off guard. But then in indoor, you usually have the basic three contacts. What's more fun of the two? Personally, I like beach better because, again, I can you can do unorthodox things. You can send it over, like be kind of crappy with how you're doing it. And I just really like that because you can really frustrate your opponents that way. What's more challenging? 
they're both challenging. I would say beach because before I came here, I'd never played before. So my freshman year, I know it was really frustrating trying to learn, like playing against these girls that I've always played their whole life and then trying to learn a new sport right when you get to college. Like even though it is volleyball, they're two completely different things. And you have to learn like how to pass the ball differently because and with the wind, the ball floats. So you have to like really focus on lowering the pass and then you can't double the ball at all. Like it cannot have any spin when you set it. So most people don't set the ball in beach, and then that's my position. So I'm like, all right, now I have to really focus on passing the second ball. So, what have you? What are some of the things you've taken from beach into indoor? What are some of the skills that are transferable? Uh, shots, definitely. I think after my freshman year, going into my sophomore year, we were a lot um, better with shots. We weren't all focusing on hitting powerful balls, like even though that is important. Um, because in beach one like there's a cutty shot that you can do and we could see people incorporating that indoor and having it score so that was something that was really positive coming out of beach also jumping the sands way harder to jump in and I think it definitely increased all of our verticals inside hey y'all quick break to talk about our friends at our table catering our table catering is a proud partner of Austin P athletics their mission quality food crafted with love at Our Table Catering, you are always the guest of honor. They make you and your specific events needs their top priority. You can visit them online at www.OurTableCatering.com. Last couple of years, obviously, have been very fun, very successful. You are going into 2019 in the fall. You're going to be losing quite a few of the people that helped make it that successful and that fun. How do you maintain that team identity and carry over the success that you guys have had? Um, I think we still have a lot of the same like fun personalities. It is it does suck losing all of them as well. But I think just keeping what we're doing um, and not trying to change because we are losing four people that did play a lot. And I think not freaking out if stuff isn't going right. I think just like trusting the process and taking it again day by day and pushing ourselves even harder in the weight room and on the court is going to help a lot. And then right now we're doing um, individuals, so really focusing on that and trying to get better every day. Is it fair that you guys are going to have probably lowered expectations next year because of what you've lost? Probably, but I think if we work just as hard, I mean, we could be as successful as we've been in the past. What do you do around here outside of volleyball? Um, study. <laughs> I do. That's good to hear <laughs> yeah, that you're going to college and studying. Yeah. That's um, hang out with my roommates at my house, my other teammates. I mean, we don't have a ton of downtime. I mean, this is basically our time right now where we don't have anything to do because in the fall we're gone every weekend and then we're about to start beach, so we don't really have that much to do. Occasionally, I mean, we'll go to Nashville like during the day just to like hang out but okay that sounds uh that sounds boring it is we we don't have that much to do (laughs) okay uh then i'm gonna try to draw some more personality out of you with this next set of questions that you haven't seen ahead of time oh okay what's your favorite word uh uh blanking on words i am blanking on words right now um i really can't think of a single word that's gonna make the next question harder okay what's your least favorite word i don't like um there's a lot of words that i don't like if i'm being honest oh really but i like i have to hear it and then i'll be like yeah i don't like that word (laughs) as weird as that sounds okay so we're over two to start yeah this this is not this is tough okay who or what inspires you? Uh, my parents definitely do. Why is that? They're just so driven, and um, they're just great people, and I love, like, how, just how they are. They're so much fun to be around, and there's, yeah. What's the last book you read for fun? Uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, really? Yes. Before or after the movie came out? After. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. What's your worst habit? 
Mm. I bite my nails occasionally. That, like, recently started. You just started biting your nails? Yeah, but I don't like it. Why did you just start? I don't Because, I don't know, they've been... This is, I don't know, this is weird. They've been growing, so I've, like, been messing with them. It just seems like one that you'd have had for years rather than just adopted here recently. I know. I, d- I don't know. Mm. What's the most terrifying situation you've ever found yourself in? Uh, terrifying? I, when I tore my ACL out on that court. What's that like to have the worst possible injury happen it was weird because I did not think that is what had happened because I got up I walked off the court Lindsay checked me and she's like I I don't really know what's going on and then waited about a week I could walk around I could literally do everything and then went to the doctor and they're like yeah you tore it but I just was looking at the positives of it I was like all right I know I have to just go to rehab and just train. I have all spring to do this, and then it'll put me back at a time to where I'll be back in the fall and be able to do things again. So, What's your idea of happiness? Um, just having people around you that are supportive and just loving what you're doing and, yeah, being happy with that. What's your idea of misery? being alone what makes you self-conscious uh not being good like not performing well i do not like that what is the most embarrassing song that you love Mm. probably i mean i love like all jonas brothers songs i don't know if that's embarrassing but Maybe to some people, but... I would be embarrassed to like the Jonas Brothers, but that's, you know, to each their own. Yeah. So, uh, when, I can't remember who was in here, was like, anything I love, I'm not embarrassed by. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I don't, I'm not really embarrassed, but I guess you could go with that. How would you prefer to die? In my sleep. Just go like that. <laughs> if you were reincarnated, what would you like to come back as? A dog. Because everyone loves dogs. True enough. What might prompt you to lie? A really, like, uncomfortable situation (laughs) that I know I'm going to get in trouble for. (laughs) What makes you hopeful? Um, a lot of things. I mean, even though the world sucks a lot, there's always something to be hopeful for. Um, I don't know, like, friends and family always, that keeps me hopeful, and just knowing that every day is different. So if you have one sucky day, it doesn't mean tomorrow's going to be like that. What is our purpose in life? Uh, to make relationships with people and to be happy and, I guess, see as much as the world as we can. That's fair. So you're going into your third year of beach starting first weekend of March? Yes. What are your expectations? Well, I'm really excited to play again because I missed all last season. So my expectation is we really want to make the conference tournament because we're now in the A-Sun this year. Yeah, there is going to be a conference tournament. Yeah, so that is our, I would say, our team goal of this year. Mine is to win, I'd say, like over half of my the matches that I'm in because I think we have, like, every year we get better. Because I remember freshman year, didn't really win that many. Last year, got a little better. So hopefully we keep climbing the ladder, and this year we can win a few more matches that we didn't last year. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you guys out there. you got two home, big kind of home tournaments this year, right? So plenty of opportunities for people to come out and see you guys. Uh, Amy Arrington, thank you for joining me today. had a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. I'm having such a good time. I'm having a ball.
Big thanks to Mimi Arrington for joining us this week. Always good to talk to our friends from the Austin P Volleyball Program, among the most interesting student-athletes we've got on this campus. As we look ahead to this weekend, this is the kind of weekend that makes those of us in athletics administration just sort of weep. Thirteen events across seven sports in two states, including six home contests. So if you are wondering what I'll be doing this weekend, it won't be sleeping. OVC men's basketball chessboard could change quite a bit after this weekend. The Govs and Murray have SIUE and EIU at home, while Belmont and Jacksonville State are on the road. The Bruins to visit Eastern Kentucky and Moorhead State, JSU at UT Martin, and SEMO. Uh, the trip up north to EKU and Moorhead has been particularly brutal. That's where JSU caught its first loss of the OVC schedule against the Colonels. So keep an eye on that this weekend as you're joining us here in the Dunn Center. Thursday night, the Governors host SIU Edwardsville. Cougars are in that weird bottom end of the league spot where they can ill afford to go winless any weekend from here on out if they harbor significant tournament hopes, and they will be a dangerous foe coming into the Dunn. Taylor put up 33 against SIUE earlier this season, including 20 in the second half, but the Govs can't afford to give up the 23 transition points they surrendered in the last contest against the Cougars. Last time we talked about EIU, we mentioned they were desperate for a marquee OVC win. We didn't know at the time that that would be against the Governors in an 85-83 loss for Austin P. and Charleston on January 19th. EIU was red hot to start that game. Govs looked to control the Panthers from outside, a tough order given that Eastern Illinois is second in the league in three-point shooting at 37.1%. The Govs went on a 19-1 run in Charleston to take a 14-point lead in the second half of the last contest, which saw it erased on a 16-2 run by EIU to equalize the game with just under six minutes to play. The Govs must contain two players vital to the Panthers' plans. Josiah Wallace, who scored 27 points the last time he faced the Govs and might be the most consistently high-performing newcomer in the league, and Sharif Smith, who scored the final 10 points to help the Panthers complete the comeback in Charleston. The women's team will have revenge on its mind when SIUE visits Thursday. And if we flash flashback to just around a month ago at SIUE, an Ali Trockler jumper with just about four seconds left felled the Govs, and they ended up losing by a point who, you know, in many facets of that game, the Govs were, were very good. At the time, they had their best road shooting percentage. I think it was around 43 44% in the game. They shot well at the free throw line. Um, they went like 16 of 18 or something. It, it's their highest free throw percentage in the game this season. Um, the, the problem for the Govs in that game was rebounding. They had a season-low 19 rebounds in that game, and – you know, that was another one of those where they got off to the super slow start, yeah, too, wasn't it? I think they were down 8 or 10-0 after, you know, SIUE opened up on that run, and the guys had to play catch-up. They, they ended the third quarter on a 13-0 run to tie the game going into the fourth, and the, the truck, their jumper, was, was really the difference at the end. So, and, and this is about as even as a game you could want. Both teams 10-11 overall, both teams 5-5 five and five OVC, and the first game was only separated by a point. So... It looks like it's going to be another close one. Um, the last time out, Keisha Gregory had 20, um, as well as four assists and a career-high six steals. Um, she just was kept willing herself to the free-throw line, where obviously she is one of the best ever. Quite at, good. Yeah. Uh, I think she went nine for nine from the line in that game. Um, and, you know, the Govs had a chance, and, you know, at the time they had no road victories. So, you know, that one hurt. But then being able to go to EIU two days later – and win their first row game, you know, it gave them confidence. And then when EIU comes back into the Dunn on Saturday, the Govs will have that confidence that they've already beaten EIU team once already this season. And the Panthers, their their overall record can maybe um, be you know be disguised. They're nine and twelve, but just three and seven in league play, and only one of those wins came against a team above five hundred in league play, and that was against UT Martin on the opening night of conference. And you know, some teams could have been still figuring stuff out after the Christmas period. Um, hey, if not for a terrible first quarter, we'd have beat Martin, too. Exactly. And it was really, again, another close game. Uh, the Govs didn't get off to a hugely, so, uh, hugely so s slow start. Man, these – Hugely and bigly. Yeah. Um, so the Govs and the, the Panthers really were, were playing pretty close, and then the fourth quarter happened, and the Govs took over, namely Keisha Gregory. And we just mentioned her against SIUE. These two games are probably the best – two-game series that she had um, in, in, in terms of the importance of, you know, the plays that she made at the, at the time of each game. She only had two points going in the fourth quarter. 
the Govs outscored the Panthers 24-11 to in the fourth. So the Panthers obviously scored 11 points in, in, in that quarter as a team. Gregory had 11 by herself. And, again, she was just simply going to the free throw line. I remember one play from that game. She got the ball, drove it, backed in, and then fade away, faded away and put up a one-handed hook shot that went off the backboard and went in while drawing a foul. She just really took over that game. Maggie Knowles scored 16 in that game and later earned Freshman of the Week honors. Um, Ariel Gonzalez-Vonner had a double-double with 12 points and 12 rebounds. Um, the, the Panthers have shooters on that team, so they can get hot at any moment. They have uh, Carly Pace, who played her high school basketball here in Clarksville, um, one of the league's uh, highest scores at the moment. Um, Carmen Tellez is, yeah, Spanish, Tellez. <laughs> you, you looked at me and was like... <laughs> well, uh, Tellez is not your traditional... Uh, basketball name, maybe? I was going to say she's not your traditional name. Yeah. <laughs> she... She shoots over 40% from the three-point line. And Taylor Steele, who was the leading scorer for the Panthers last time out against the Govs, also shooting well from the three-point line. So it, it's a very good opportunity for the Govs to take take two wins here back on the done. You've beaten one team once. You lost to one team just by a single point. And you know if you got some more rebounds that you could have been scoring maybe in the 80-plus region, and that game could have been won by double digits. And, you know, if they win both of these games and a couple results go their way, you could be looking at possibly a, a top-four seed. I know last week I mentioned about a bye. Well, they don't have any buys in the women's tournament, just the men, so I want to clarify that. Um, it's a strict Oh, man, I don't make fun of you. I guess I just yeah. kind of tend you out it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's strictly a one-versus-eight, two-versus-seven, et cetera, et cetera, seeding, um, seeding for the women's tournament. So – if right, right now it'd be us and SIUE in the women's tournament. I think four so. five, I, yeah, wouldn't I'm it? pretty sure. Um, it's either it's that'd either be a good game. Or, yeah, it's either that or or Simo's right Simo. there as well. Yeah, and you know the Cougars have won the last five meetings against the Govs, including um, the one this this uh, this year and the three that they had last season, including that OVC tournament game. Um, the Govs really haven't been able to score well against the Cougars in recent years, but did put up, uh, you know, 68 respectable scoring line, um, especially when SIUE um, only gives up around 61 points a game. So if the Govs are able to get this, maybe, I guess this team may have their, their number as of recent years. If they're able to get a win here, that could really spur them on and give them more confidence, especially going into Saturday and then the end of the season. On the track, the last tune-up ahead of the OVC Indoor Championships is this weekend in Birmingham for the Samford Open. Leaving aside the implications of once more getting down to Birmingham and being able to get on the track at the site of the OVC Championships, in some events, this is the last real chance to secure qualifying mark for the NCAA Indoor Championships. The OVC is very competitive at some things, and at others... Just not so much. So hopefully this field in Birmingham is a really good one, not only for our student-athletes harboring NCAA ambitions, but also to help the governors who are on the margins in other events solidify their qualifying times for the OVC championships as well. Uh, specifically, obviously, talking about the pole vaulters, it's great in one respect to be dominant at the OVC level because when you get to conference, you know that if you just – show up and perform to the standard you hold yourself to, two of the three spots on the podium should be yours. But it's tough it's tough to go hunting for big numbers in that respect when you know you just need to start clearing bars to get on the podium and earn those points for your team. It's it's just a different it's a different kind of animal and so I hope for the sake of Dacia and Savannah Amato and their their chances of NCAA qualification that this event in Birmingham uh, offers some really, really good competition for them. And speaking of Birmingham, that is where head coach Cassie Stanfield will open her first season at the helm of the Austin Peay softball program at UAB's home tournament. They will face Louisiana Monroe and UAB each twice with another contest against Wright State also thrown in and it's going to be very interesting to get the season underway because this is the first time in years and decades maybe that the govs have come in with higher expectations any kind um, of expectations yeah. really and with pretty much every contributor back from a year ago um the govs could really be a a real factor and real contender in the ovc um their top 10 hitters are returning as well as over 99% of last year's innings pitched, um, led by Morgan Rackle. I thought uh, that number was wild when yeah, I looked it up I last I night. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't yeah. that doesn't even seem real. Yeah. Um, 
they are will really have transformed from the hunters to the hunted this year, and it'll be interesting to see how they respond to that. Uh, unfortunately, we don't get to see them at home until March 9th. They play 21 games on the road to open up their season, and if they get a couple of breaks in their favor, we could be seeing a, a, a team with you know maybe a 15-6, 16-5 record, just a, a really good overall record after 21 games on the road. Um, coming back home to March 9th, and if they're able to you know get some things together and, and carry on success from last year, Austin Peay softball is going to be a real force. Another program opening up its spring campaign will be women's golf. Spring here being probably a very charitable term for what's going to be what you can expect from February 9th. But they'll play a heads-up contest against Lipscomb down in Nashville. The weather, you know, hopefully it's nice. February 9th can be pretty dicey. If changes occur to the schedule, we'll let you know at letsgop.com and over at the Austin P. Women's Golf Twitter page as well. The Governors closed their fall by winning their last event with a dub at the Town and Country Invitational in Nashville as Reagan Green took home individual medalist honors. Hopefully we will see the Govs showing no ill effects from the extended layoff due to the winter break when they take on Lipscomb this weekend. And tennis also back underway this weekend, both at home. Uh, starting with the men, they play IUPUI. Um, should be a very interesting match. IUPUI 4-3 on the year so far. They will also play Belmont uh, the day before, and that's on Thursday. The men play Friday at home, so IUPUI will travel um, Thursday to play Belmont before coming here to the Governor's Tennis Center to take on the Govs. Uh, last season, IUPUI got the better of the Govs. They won here in Clarksville by a 5-2 scoreline, um, so hopefully the, the Govs can use that momentum from the win against Cumberland and get maybe a little bit of revenge against IUPUI. On the women's side, they take on Central Arkansas. Uh, last season, uh, lost on the road 4-3, but this was in that time where they had some injuries and had to forfeit number three doubles and number six singles. So basically, before the game, ma before the match even starts, the other team's up 1-0, and they're also up 1-0 in the mini doubles competition where you only need to win two of the three matches there to gain an extra point. So it's very likely your opponent's going to be have a two going to have a two zero lead going into singles, um, and they also most of the, these two programs have played many times I in the fall tournament season the past few years, and there's been mixed results. This is a good team. Um, they only lost uh, three four to a ranked Auburn University team as well, um, or it might have been two five. It, it either, either way, taking yeah, a couple yeah, exactly. off of a ranked SEC program is yeah. not bad. You know the the guys have seen them. Uh, it's it's primarily the the same roster as as last year for central arkansas so hopefully the govs can can get maybe what looks like could be their strongest opponent so far this season so hopefully they can get a win under their belts haley jacoby has a ton of community service opportunities lined up for our student athletes burt school first christian church mana cafe read across america is march 1st the big event austin's yearly on-campus service initiative is scheduled for saturday april 6th and if you're looking for something to do during spring break service trips to memphis st louis and nashville are available haley has all the info you need if you want to be involved with that Who's for Heroes is February 8th at the Echo Power Club level over at Forterra Stadium. And once more, SAC is sending a veteran to the OVC tournament. The dinner is free, but a small donation goes a long way at this event to getting a veteran there. And Ryan Combs, who always has the information, he's got more if you need it. Senior financial education February 12th at the Echo Power Club level. Required for senior student athletes. Really should be required for just all people who are going to have to manage money. Um, it's not as simple when I was in school, it was like, learn to balance your checkbook and you'll be fine. It's not quite as simple as all that. Go listen to experts and know what they're talking about. And OVC leadership workshops are February 25th for athletes and the 26th for coaches. So be on the lookout for that in your email. want to give a quick shout out to Myla Floor and Sean Whittinghill, great friend of the podcast, Sean Whittinghill. <laughs> they will be going to the NCAA's leadership forum in Orlando in April. Look for a little bit more info about that on letsgop.com later on this week. But just wanted to, to give a shout out to them because I think that's a that's a big time thing. That's something that the the league admins and the SWAs choose to be not only representatives of our university but representatives of the league as a whole. And I think to have two people coming out of Austin P to go represent the league that way, that's pretty big time. Uh, get in touch, stay in touch with us via web and social media. You already know where but Dylan tell them anyway. 
Let'sGoP.com is the main website for everything Austin P. And you can follow um, at Let's Go P on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well as following every single team account on Twitter as well as certain teams have their own Instagram accounts as well. Um, Taylor Wiseman and Tyler Davis in video services and digital media also pushing out a lot of great content really since the start of November for basketball. And now we're getting into the spring sports such as baseball, softball, um, spring golf, and spring tennis. So, you know, expect a lot more content that, you know, they're going to be um, creating for us. Let's go P.com for dates, news, and stories. Dylan, Cody Bush, Stefan Nolay, myself, we have things for you to read and see over there. And at this point, I don't need to remind everyone to go and get their basketball tickets. I mean, we are just a week away from taking on Murray State here in the Dunn Center in in which is now a ESPN two game. Yeah, and if you don't have those yeah. tickets, if you haven't if this is the first you're hearing about it, you may be too late. Yeah. And simply hours away from the the, the two game set of SIUE and EIU on Thursday and Saturday of this week. So you gotta come out to the Dunn and watch um, some of the league's best teams do work. Find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or directly on the website at letsgop.com slash podcast. Give us a rating and review, and if you'd like to suggest a guest, let us know of a local or on-campus event we should shout out, or beg me for Murray tickets. Tweet at us. I'm at CWilson225. He's at Dylan Schwartz. Probably the way you suspect that would be written. (laughs) Uh, And we'll talk to to and or about you next week. Where did that 225 come from, by the way? Is that just random numbers? See you guys.